Blog Talk Radio. Hello, this is Nick Augustine, and I'm your host on this episode of Law Talk Radio, produced by ProServe PR Marketing, a Chicago public relations and marketing firm with legal PR practice areas covering family law, litigation, and intellectual property. Support for Law Talk Radio comes from Chris McCarthy of Northwestern Mutual. Chris McCarthy provides individuals and business owners with expert guidance and exclusive access to Northwestern Mutual's life and disability insurance policies. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Please show your support for our programming by visiting and clicking the like button on our social media pages. First, we have the Law Talk Radio Facebook page, and second, the ProServe PR Marketing page on Facebook. You will find all of our social media links on our website, ProServePR.com. Now, from the Law Talk Radio page on our website, you can listen directly to recent episodes on demand through an embedded player. You will also find a link to the Law Talk Radio channel on our host network, where all of our shows are available dating back to January 1st, 2010. While listening, please feel free to click around and read some blog articles and other PR and marketing tips for law firms while you listen to our shows. Now, today's program is a panel discussion on the business of family law in Chicagoland, and the business of family law has changed over the past 10 years. And during the past decade, we've seen newer models of practice become more accepted by many, more collateral professionals in the game, and a myriad of methods to market and engage clients with complex and well-tracked referral systems. Now, in the past five years, there caused many lawyers to reorganize their practice through the economic downturn and also to otherwise adjust for a new economic reality. Now, family law clients also approach post pre- and post-decree dissolution issues differently now than had been 10 years ago, for example. So in short, the landscape has changed, and there are many new firms thriving in family practice despite these changes. And tonight we have uh, our guests with us. Uh, We have Kevin Rayford and Mario. Kevin is a sole practitioner. Rayford works at a firm that is growing. They've grown from uh, two attorneys many, many, many years ago to about nine now. And Mario is with a larger firm. I'll read their short bios. Kevin Savai is a sole practitioner in Chicago who worked for several small and medium-sized firms in Chicago in DuPage County before launching his sole practice. Mr. Savai is an ASBA Judicial Evaluation Committee man, and he is also an arbitration panelist, certified mediator, and volunteered as a pioneer of the Cook County Mortgage Foreclosure Mediation Program. Next, Rayford Palmer is with partner with Sullivan, Taylor, and Gumina, and Ray concentrates his practice on high net worth and complex asset divorce matters, especially those involving closely held or family-owned business interests. He handles collaborative divorce cases as well as litigated matters. Rafe is a published and frequent speaker on dissolution of marriage issues. We also have Mario Ventrelli, who's a partner with Schiller, Ducanto, and Fleck, the largest matrimonial firm in the country. Mr. Ventrelli represents his business leaders and professionals and influential civic and political personalities, celebrities, and professional athletes. He's a faculty member of the ABA Family Law Trial Advocacy Institute and is consistently named in top-tier peer review listings. Now, we want to welcome callers this afternoon. If you have a comment, of course, our shows are neutral and objective. 
But you can always call in with your comment or question at area code 917-889-9732. Press option 1 to be placed in queue. That number again is 917-889-9732. By way of short disclaimer, this is a general information program, and the advice shown on the show does not constitute legal advice. Communications with attorney, guests, and among guests and callers on our show cannot give rise to an attorney-client relationship. Also, if you have questions, you should consult with an attorney in your area. Finally, all callers remain confidential and rights to this broadcast are reserved. Now, the four subject matters we're going to cover on today's episode. In our first segment, we'll talk about law firm size, the business of solo and then small and growing, and mid-sized to large family law firms. We're going to talk about some of the advantages and challenges to the clients and to the practitioners. And then in our second segment, we'll talk about the processes and systems involved in planning and growing a family law firm. In our third uh, in our third segment, we'll talk about diversification in marketing, a blend of indirect and direct marketing, and referral building strategies. And then finally, in our fourth segment, we'll talk about family practice models, their brand and referral generating opportunities. We'll discuss in further detail collaborative uh, and litigation models, as well as uh, some other variances and the folks who uh, work in those areas. So, Moving forward, I would like to start by uh, asking all three of our panelists. First of all, I'd like to thank them all for offering their time and being on our show today. And um, as you comment, please introduce yourselves. And I'd like to first ask um, the, to ask you a little bit about advantages to clients in working with sole practitioners uh, and then moving on up with smaller and growing and then mid-sized firms. So um, what are some of the advantages of working with sole practitioners? Kevin? Yeah, this is Kevin Seville. Um, Seville, I pronounced your name wrong. I that's okay. You made that. it more exotic. That's okay. <laughs> um, I, I, I think the advantage to a client working with a sole practitioner is the obvious one. You have, there's no question about who you're going to be dealing with for six months, a year, two years. But I always advise potential clients to interview a number of different lawyers to find someone that they feel comfortable with. They need to feel a chemistry with the individual attorney they're going to work with, whether it's a man or a woman, whether they're young or old. Um, they need The client needs to feel comfortable with that individual attorney because they're going to be discussing very intimate, personal matters, and they're going to be living with that attorney for six months, a year, two years, however long it takes. And if they don't feel comfortable with that attorney, the relationship is going to struggle uh, as a consequence. So where's the advantage of being a sole practitioner and providing that service? Well, I, I think you don't have to worry about what someone else may have said to that client when you weren't around. Uh, even even with firms that have multiple attorneys on a case, uh, there's nothing worse than hearing, well, but she said that I could do thus and such, or he said that I could do thus and such. And you know, unless you're completely sure what your partner said, uh, there's a potential for disconnect, and mm-hmm. you know I've I've been in both situations, and uh, there's nothing worse than being played off against something you, your partner may or may not have said. Very true. Let's move to Rafe. Rafe, uh, how are you, and how has your firm addressed some of these concerns? I'm great, thank you. This is Rafe Palmer. Uh, we address the, the the advantages to the mid-sized firm would be of scale, of course, an ability to handle. Uh, a little more easily larger matters. We have more staff. We have very we have excellent paralegals who are very, very experienced. We've been blessed to have them with us for many years, and they're able to handle complex matters uh, that maybe we wouldn't have 
had the firepower to handle years ago. Um, we also have nine attorneys, which allows us to have a diversity of experience and backgrounds to address a variety of legal situations, all the way from adoption to uh, complex divorce cases, guardianships, things of that nature. So that's it's been helpful to have the, the staff and the personnel available to do all these different things. Mm-hmm. That also allows us to cross-market and sell our own abilities inside the firm uh, and have that diversity inside. The the challenges, I guess, would be um, that some of the communication issues that Kevin talked about that we are trying to address with a couple things. One is a team approach, having an attorney stick with the case from the beginning, and they're in charge of that matter, so is one of the partners, and one paralegal stays with the file through the case. So the client is familiar with one team of people, and we don't jump around with people unless absolutely necessary. And the second is use of technology. You know, originally paper notes, and transitioning from that system, which is outdated and difficult to manage largely, to an electronic-based system so we can keep tabs on what everybody is telling the client, like Kevin said, and what the clients have asked us to do. So technology is a great tool for us to be able to keep on top of those issues. Great. Do you scan all your orders? All, actually, all the incoming material, all every piece of paper is scanned when it comes in. Every, we have an electronic fax that comes in, and every document that comes in is scanned and processed that way, and we're now transitioning to scanning everything outbound as well to make sure we have a, an identical electronic file you know, with absolutely every piece of paper scanned. You know what's funny is that I can remember when I first entered family law and was clerking back in the late 90s, uh, I, you know, when scanning started to be an option, I thought, wouldn't it be great for everyone to scan all this? And I went on a whole paper list and scanning um, mission myself. But I found that, you know, I think that you almost need both systems sometimes because I know for me personally, I still have handwritten notes on yellow pads, and uh, but I'll scan those and scan them with keywords. So maybe it's a hybrid of both. At least for me, I, I, I can't find emails unless I print them out, but, um, you know, my hat's off to you for moving to a communication platform that's all electronic so everyone knows what everyone's doing. That's excellent. We're in the process of it. It's it's an evolutionary process. One of the one of the things is you have to roll this out and, and sort of test it on a limited basis and then, um, and then deploy it once you feel like you've achieved the level of success you're looking for, and that's sort of where we are right now with, with some of the internal electronic communication systems. But, for example... We instituted Google Calendar for the for the business um, almost a year ago, and all the attorneys have iPads, and that's been a big success. Uh, we use Google Chat inside the office for uh, quick uh, instant messaging, and that's also useful on phones. So we're able to keep our communications between the courthouse and the office, and, uh, for example, if appointments change and things of that nature, that can be immediately texted to the attorney and vice versa, and um, with the, the calendar's been outstanding. We've been very happy with we We literally went from a kind of a hybrid paper paper and, and Outlook-based system to Google Calendar, and it really was a, a seamless transition. It worked out great. Mm-hmm. Um, let's move to Mario. Mario, you're at a large firm, and uh, my question to you is how, you know, with larger firms, many of us um, will guess that, it's sometimes harder to get the more people you have involved in the more systems that are in place. It may be more difficult to move and make some of these changes 
um, but I know that your firm has been a leader among uh, among many of the larger firms in doing a lot of these things. Tell us a little bit about some of the advantages that you offer to clients uh, with a firm your size and also some of the challenges that you have appreciated. Sure. I'm Mario Ventrelli with Schiller, Kento, and Fleck. And I think, you know, perhaps the most obvious advantage to a firm of our size, and I should say that, you know, large in the family law context means, you know, 40-plus attorneys. We're not talking about 500 attorneys or 700 attorneys. Good to make the distinction. Sure. Uh, And, you know, typically law firms uh, that handled primarily divorce were small and boutique-y, and we like to maintain that we're a boutique firm, just slightly larger. One of the advantages, the primary advantage, is the accumulation and the breadth of knowledge of our, our people. You know, you can assemble 400 lawyers, but if you don't have quality control over those lawyers, the number itself is meaningless. We've managed to maintain quality control, and each and every one of our lawyers is someone who brings something to the table, uh, whether it be a tax experience whether it be a general civil litigation experience, a psychological experience. We have lawyers, several lawyers, who are former judges. Uh, We have appellate judges. We have uh, former tax litigators, and so on and so on. And what that allows us to do is not only pair up the client with the most appropriate lawyer, or I should say team of lawyers is the way we handle things, but we also have the ability to go to our partners who maybe were tax litigators or worked in estate planning at a large firm before they came to our firm and bring them certain points and problems that arise in a case to get their expertise, and that's a wonderful benefit to the client. Now, as you grow with any organization, there's always challenges. And, you know, the challenge for us in some ways is – maintaining and staying on top of the technology. You know, much in the way that a smaller firm can gain an advantage by mastering the technology, a larger firm is by necessity or must by necessity master the technology. We have a wonderful staff. We are always staying on top of the technological advances to the greatest extent possible to make us operate as one. And one of the most unusual things about the firm is though we have 40-some attorneys, we, we do operate as sort of a single organism, and all our systems are integrated so that everyone has access to what everybody else is doing. Very useful and very good to have, especially where you have so when you have so many different lawyers there. One of the uh, advantages that I can see is, um, you know, for example, let's say we have a case where. Um, you know, X, Y, Z fact pattern is going on. Has everyone, anyone had experience? Maybe it's a, a TRO on some assets in an offshore account, and you send an email out, and you get five people back who have experience and actually dealt with that before. So I can see the advantage there. Um, I can really see the advantage of all different firms as matching with all different types of client needs as well um, and different uh, levels of service. So thank you all for those um uh, it's good information, and again, I think that clients out there who are shopping around for a firm should ask a lot of questions. Uh, you know, if they're concerned with, will I see a different attorney in court as my as opposed to the regular attorney? How much time, uh, you know, is the case going to need? How much uh, client attention is is the client going to need? How complex of the issues? Um, you know, there, I, I really believe at the end of the day that there's a match for everyone and a client for everyone, um, and there's advantages and challenges again to 
uh, whether they're solo firms, uh, mid-sized, or you know, larger family firms. And again, it's a good point that Mario makes that um, while most of us think of uh, larger firms as 100-plus attorneys, 40 attorneys in a family law firm is a, a rather large, and uh, nine attorneys, uh, is that what you have, Rafe, at Sullivan yeah. Taylor Goodman at nine, is um, you know, certainly a decent mid-sized law firm, especially um, in, in suburban areas. And you and Rafe, you cover, uh, you, you, both you and Mario are both, your firms cover the entire um, Chicagoland area. Is that a true statement? That's, that's true. I guess uh, it's accurate to say that that is correct, yes. We, we don't really do much work in Lake County or McHenry County, but Cook and the other Collar counties, yes. Yeah. And all the way out to DeKalb, actually. We um, have offices in Lake Forest, Wheaton, and downtown. We're uh, covering essentially every county um, in the general Chicagoland area, and we're often asked to uh, participate in out-of-state cases as well. We do a fair amount of those. I wouldn't say it's a huge part of our business, but it's a fairly significant part of our business that we may step out of state periodically and appear pro hoc vice in a case in, say, Colorado Mm -hmm. or Memphis or something like that. Right now, with Kevin, Kevin, you know, you and I are both uh, sole practitioners, and um, there's a, there are challenges there if you've got multiple court calls in uh, in different places. I've known so many people who've been booked in DuPage, Cook, and Will all at the same time on a well, Tuesday morning for status. Yeah, that that's always a challenge. I have tried to limit my practice to Cook, DuPage, and Lake. Uh, I will go to Kane simply because it's not that much farther than DuPage. And I, I started out in DuPage, so I'm still thought of as a DuPage guy. But the the challenge is, if if you're in the unfortunate predicament of being in two different counties on the same morning, and that's where you have to either uh, call in a favor from the opposing attorney, get someone else to cover it for you. Um, most Most lawyers are professional enough to help out when they mm-hmm. understand there's a legitimate conflict. But, you know, you just have to be smart. You have to have the uh, electronic calendar with you whenever you set a date. And if something is motioned up that you can't deal with, you've got to get on the horn and try to fix it. Right, right. And, you know, I'll submit that most um, most small solo and small practitioners in family law have often have teams of other people they frequently see in court, and they know who's going to be there and who's not. So a lot of people will get uh, will find other people to cover for them. So that's a nice advantage. So even the, the solos really do uh, go, you know kind of um, come together and have real good networks and referrals. We'll talk a little bit more about some of those issues later in the show. I'm going to pause for our first uh, break here. I want to let you know to make a note on your calendar for June 9th through June 7th. Um, this is for the National Association of Legal Investigators. I'm one of the speakers at this event, and it's going to be here in Chicago this summer at the Hotel Avenue Crown Plaza. Again, June 7th through 9th, the National Association of Legal Investigators holds its national conference to celebrate NALI's 45th anniversary. Presenters at this event include Cynthia Hetherington, Nick Augustine, Andrea Lyon, Todd Throne, Jed Stone, and representatives from Dynamic Safety and Reed and Associates. Most of those names you'll recognize if you're an investigator. If you're an attorney, likely not. Um, Attorneys are encouraged to attend this event and, as always, the presenters for this NALI conference are the best of the best in their field, and you'll learn new information you can take home and put to use immediately. The presentations are balanced with criminal, civil, and general litigation issues to best educate all attending NALI members and the attorneys who are learning more about working with NALI-certified investigators. 
Public defender colleagues, paralegals, and attorneys are all encouraged to attend this event, and you can find more information by directing your inquiries to the NALI office, again, that's the National Association of Legal Investigators, at area code 517-372-1500. The telephone number, again, is area code 517-372-1500. Now, as we get back to our program on the business of family law here in Chicagoland, our second segment, we're going to talk about processes and systems involved in planning and growing a firm. And to start out this segment, I'd like to ask Rafe to talk about his experience with his firm that when I first knew them were two or maybe three attorneys and have grown to nine attorneys. And um, I'll ask him to talk a little bit about first the processes of growth uh, and then systems to track growth and some sales and marketing techniques that his firm has found useful. Rafe? Thank you very much. Uh, Basically, the the firm has had the benefit of very good founding principles and values among the the original owner, Maureen Sullivan Taylor, and then uh, her first partner, Julie Gumina. And those values have been the key to the success of the firm, in in my opinion, I'm sure in in the partner's opinion in the office. And that is, uh, we have very little turnover. We are very, very careful about the people we we hire. We actually have a kind of a unique process where we have our staff have a, some time to interview even new attorneys in the firm, just to make sure everybody's comfortable with the people that we're talking to. It's I've heard that about your firm. I've heard this before. Yeah, even though we're a even though we're a larger, I guess a larger family law firm. I think something over twenty. You know, attorneys and staff now are well over that. We still are like a family, and like Mario talked about, having a, you know operating as one organism. We believe it's critical that we do operate like that, that we work together well, we share the same values. So it's a pretty lengthy, you know, vetting process that we go through with with not only young or new attorneys, but other uh, folks like when I came to the firm a few years ago to make sure that there is a, a harmony of, of values and uh, and experience that makes sense with the firm. So the, the growth has been very, has been fairly rapid in recent years, but uh, very focused and controlled along the way to make sure, you know, mistakes aren't made. So growth hasn't been just for growth's sake. It's It's been organic. It's been due to the growth in business from referrals and other sources, and uh, which is really the best kind. It hasn't been purchased. It's really been earned internally. So that that's really been the source of the growth and I guess we're you know hopefully we're doing the right thing for clients. There our referrals are a very high percentage of the work we do which is a blessing and our marketing efforts have paid off increasingly in the past few years with a lot more active internet um marketing. Mm-hmm. Now, um, as you've brought new members into your firm, have they come from uh, outside individually or have other partnerships uh, come into play? Or have you also seen that happen with other firms who are in a growth process? In our office, we have essentially lawyers have come individually, not whole firms or not not groups of people. The, the last two attorneys that were hired in our office were younger associate attorneys who came sort of the traditional route through, you know, one through a regular interviewing process, or actually both of them. And um, But, you know, personal referrals of even potential employees have been valuable in the success of our firm. We we get to know people maybe on the outside, and 
get to know them and and find out people like them and then ask them to join the firm when the time is right. And that's been very successful for us as well. Mm-hmm. Just kind of cold calling people. Right, right. Now, when you're growing, how do you know, you know, we talked a little bit on another call about um, kind of tracking growth. Um, we, I know in business, sometimes the challenge is how not to grow too quickly, too fast. How has your firm measured the growth to make make that a sustainable and reasonable continual growth? Beyond, you know, really with, we we have engaged a professional business consultant to help us because we are now going from the stage, of, we've gone from sort of the, the beginning of a firm, a couple attorneys to nine, and that's what what I sort of call stage one to stage two. Mm-hmm. We're now looking at going to stage three, and we realize we need some some professional support to give us some more sophisticated guidance about that level. I mean, other than looking at gross revenues, more cases, clients are happy, you know, we need more people to help out. Early on is is by necessity in small firms, it's sort of by feel and, and by looking at numbers. You know, you have to, first you feel like you're real busy, then you look at the figures and realize that the dollars coming in support the growth and then make the decision to move. And that has been the process in the past. It's been very successful We'll still we'll still have to do that in the future, but I think engaging a professional to help with the next level makes a lot of sense. Right, it makes it makes complete sense, and I, I agree with that assessment. Uh, Mario or Kevin, your thoughts on law firm growth? I'll let Mario go with that one because I'm I'm growing from one. <laughs> I do have an office. I do share space with other lawyers that have a family law practice. Uh, so I have other people to uh, consult with when I need to, and I have uh, paralegals to help. But I think Mario's uh, certainly with uh, the best firm around to talk about growth. Well, you know, Rafe brought up an excellent point, and it's the one about growing organically. There's no sense in growing for growth's sake. Um, we have, when we bring in, whether it's a lateral hire or someone from our clerking program, an extraordinarily stringent vetting process um, that includes some outside counseling in order to determine whether the person is the right fit for us. We have a fairly sophisticated clerking uh, program at our office where you know, often the clerks will be with us for two years of their three years in law school. And by that time, you pretty much know uh, whether or not that person's a right fit, not only for the firm, but for the practice of family law, which is very unique. Despite that, we still put them through an extra, what I'm sure they would all say is a very stringent vetting process. But the point is not to grow for growth's sake or to grow too quickly. Um, you can very easily collapse under your own weight if the only goal is to add names to your letterhead. Um, it's a delicate balance between um, anticipating growth and being ready for it and not being shorthanded and adding too quickly and then looking for reasons to justify the additions. And I think we've done a, a very good job so far in, in terms of, of doing that. You know, but I think anything, any growth, ends up being a product of the examination of your business sources, your business growth, your demographic in terms of clients, and, and, and where you see business reasonably coming from in the future. Um, it has to be keyed off of that in order to be sensible growth, which is essentially what Rafe is talking about, and which I think is just a touchstone for any firm looking to go, as Rafe said, from level one to level two or level two to level three. 
I, mm-hmm. yeah, I have to agree with uh, Mario on that. That's been one of the discussions that any business, any person's person has when they're growing is, uh, is this something we're going to regret? Are we just doing this because we're busy right now? Uh, is this a is this a trend or is it a blip on the radar? So that's been something we've had to evaluate each time we've added an attorney. The decision's been made, and we've always we've always been pleased with the you know the decision. It's been a step at a time. It's never been in leaps and bounds, but essentially one person at a time, fitting with the steady growth in in caseload and things of that nature. So I, yeah, I agree wholeheartedly. It's got to be. A natural process, not something where you just say, "Oh, well, we need to, we want to have X number of lawyers on the letterhead to show off." It has nothing to do with it. Right, right. You know, if I if I could just make one quick point about continuity, and um, you know, we have very low turnover, as Rafe was saying about his firm, and and I think that part of that is a product of the vetting process because you're looking for people who are long term, and who are going to help you present the firm as this sort of continuous entity, not a revolving door of lawyers or an aggregate of individuals. That's an important comment with respect to branding, and that's part of building a firm's brand is exactly mm-hmm. what Mario's talking about. Having that organism be the thing clients identify with rather than any particular superstar. And, you know, it's- that's very important. Here's another thing that I noticed, and I worked at uh, Mirabella and Kincaid when I was I clerked there during law school um, back in the late 90s, and the same I noticed this you know years later going back in and stopping in to say hi to some friends, the same support staff are still there that were there when I was there in 1999. So what does that tell you? Sure, that's, that's amazing. You know, and and Rafe's right in terms of you know you, you're not looking for a superstar. Inevitably, there always is a superstar in the way that our firm grew in a, in a lot of respects, in, in almost all respects, is because of the vision of those original guys. Um, but if you go and you look at our roster of, of attorneys, you'll see you know, many 20-year veterans, 22-year veterans, 30-year veterans, and that has helped with the branding. Right. Mm-hmm. You know, another thing that I'd like to bring up is the difficulty with the uh, going from, it seems like the stage one to stage two growth can sometimes be the most difficult um, when you only have a handful of attorneys and you see economic shifts that are affecting, um, you know, who your client base is. And when in the past, there was always equity in the home. Someone was always getting paid. At, you know, then we shift gears to now dealing with what more people can actually afford, and there's less lines of credit floating around. Um, the entire family law uh, practice area seems like in the last five years it's been a little shaky. Um, real quickly, what have some of the thoughts been there? Is it just a blip on the on the screen, or will everyone weather the storm? Speculative, not spending. What are some of the thoughts? Well, I guess I, I guess I'll I'd go first. This is Rafe Palmer again. I would say that there there's been a noticeable uh, change in clients being sensitive to those issues, as is understandable. Uh, there are the cases can be more challenging as people have are more asset poor or don't have funds to borrow. Homes are underwater financially. Um, people can't sell them or you know liquidate them in a short time like they were in the past. Um, you have to be cost conscious for the client's sake. We work hard to do that on all of our cases, and uh, clients are 
sensitive to that. On, on the other hand, we've been fortunate to move up market in our cases in the past several years, I would say, on average. Mm-hmm. So to some extent, while we still serve clients of, of very modest means successfully, we also are handling clients who have substantial net worth. And that's been very helpful in terms of growth as we've, I think, moved up not only in the number of clients but in the um, the, the com- complexity of the various matters and things of that nature. So we've been able to do that along the way in the past several years. Yeah, it's been it's been an interesting ride, and I'm pleased to see that the economy seems to be on an upswing, and it appears that a lot of people have reorganized and repositioned their models, and their practices have been fine-tuned, um, and a lot of people I know out there are thriving and growing despite some of the challenges that uh, some, especially some of the young attorneys are facing, not being able to find work. Um, but that is uh, that's a whole another set of shows entirely. We're going to pause for our second uh, special special offer message actually it's an offer from chicago law chicago chicago daily law bulletin sorry I misspoke and um then we'll be back with segment three and we'll talk about diversification and marketing uh a blend of indirect direct and referral building strategies um so that's going to be what we're talking about in uh, segment three uh but i'll first tell you that chicago daily law bulletin and chicago lawyer magazine have a new offer with a super low price you can visit lawbulletin.com forward slash combo for more information on that offer and the offer is that for a limited time, Law Bulletin Publishing is offering a special one-year subscription rate of $159, which is 43% off the normal subscription rate. Plus, if you act now, you'll receive a one-for-year subscription to the Chicago Lawyer Magazine, $60 value in and in itself. So, when you subscribe to Chicago Daily Law Bulletin by April 30th of this year, you'll also receive Chicago Lawyer and save $180. Now, in addition to daily coverage from the Daily Center, Federal Courthouse, and Illinois Supreme Court, the Chicago Daily Law Bulletin includes, and I'll list these benefits. Number one, profiles of corporate counsel, lobbyists, legislators, and judges. Two, case summaries and analysis, including the trial notebook. Three, sports law stories. Four, transactional law stories for non-litigators. Five, daily insights and trends, including comings and goings within the legal community. And sixth, comprehensive Collar County Court call coverage with recent additions of Will and Kane Counties. And seventh, more stories and photos from the Collar Counties. Now, you can visit lawbulletin.com forward slash combo for more information on that event. And also, I want to uh, add a personal note to that with the Chicago Lawyer Magazine. Um, there are all sorts of writers. I've been a writer for the Chicago Lawyer Magazine for several years now, and there are many of us who produce content on a weekly basis. Uh, We have a couple blogs on there. Around the Water Cooler is one. Attorneys in Transition is the blog I first started writing about that has been merged into the Around the Water Cooler. But again, poke around at Chicago Lawyer Magazine. There are all sorts of uh, real neat uh, features and all sorts of great people you can meet uh, through reading all the contributing authors and people who add to the publication. So again, with that offer, lawbulletin.com forward slash combo. Now back to our show. In segment three, we're going to talk about diversification and marketing. Um, Mario, why don't you tell us a little bit about some of the options that your firm has considered, uh, routes that you've gone, and this concept of diversification in marketing and publicity. Sure. I mean, I think, you know, to kick it off, I I would say that at the end of the day, no marketing strategy, however brilliant, is going to overcome 
a lack of good service. And in the end, you know, ultimately, your good service is what will retain the clients and generate the clients. Having said that, though, the days of simply putting an ad in the yellow pages and that being the extent of your marketing strategy are long gone. What my firm has done is we've taken sort of a multifaceted approach in terms of marketing. And so certainly we have, we have spent a lot of time and devoted a lot of energy and thought into the website development and sort of web-based methods of marketing. For example, um, you can link to many articles that our, our attorneys have written. There is a monthly publication that is online that gives the readers and the viewers updates on current case law. Obviously, you can read about all our lawyers. But, you know, that's relative garden variety stuff. You have to sort of step outside of that to make a difference. And when I say we're multifaceted, I mean that we've done everything from um, publications to constant speaking to various groups to marketing parties to what I would call adjunct professions. And what I mean by adjunct professions are the financial planners, the psychiatrist, the psychologist, all the people that seem to sort of touch on the periphery of our practice to let them know who we are, what we do, what services we can provide. Certainly there's symbiosis there because they're doing the same thing with us, but we've reached out in that way. In addition, you know, we, we have, uh, I, would, I guess I would just call them parties. Um, they're really more like marketing events with other law firms. Sometimes we'll hold them in conjunction with another law firm. And it's just to keep that connection with all other transactional lawyers and even criminal lawyers to let them know, hey, when something falls outside your bailiwick and inside ours, remember us. Be top of mind. Um, we certainly have all the sort of hard copy stuff. So, for example, when a client comes to see me in initial consultation, quite often they're going to leave with you know, a, a, a relatively elaborate brochure about the firm and explaining our services. Um, but keeping our faces out there, whether it's speaking, which is something I do a fair amount of, or whether it's hosting, um, I don't think you can take a singular approach to marketing anymore. You have to come at it from multiple directions. Mm-hmm. Um, what has been your experience, Mario, with the sea of internet marketing uh, exp a lot of people call themselves experts and, and whatnot. Um, I have my own personal thoughts on this, but there are you know, many attorneys I know are inundated with people suggesting I can put you on the top page of Google if you do this, if you do that. And um, it seems to me that there's a lot of lack of transparency out there, but what has been your firm's process and what are your suggestions in assessing the different options in dealing with the uh, almost unlimited uh, source of options for legal marketing? Well, you know, Rafe talked earlier about wanting to make a, a new step for his firm and feeling that they needed to hire someone as a strategist for that or as a help with a business planner. And one of the things that my firm has done is we've embarked upon a relatively formal marketing plan using, using uh, marketing professionals. So we require of our attorneys to, to, to come up with a, a you know, somewhat formal business plan. It all, it, it, 
anything that you put to paper becomes more concrete. You know, so just general ideas of, oh, I want to get out and press the flesh, and I want to go to a few more ABA meetings, and, oh, yeah, maybe I'll write an article. That's all fine and good, but we're trying to refine that process, make people put it to paper and come up and set goals for very various you know, marketing strategies and then meet with our marketing professionals to discuss and further refine those. And you know, as opposed to simply answering an email that says, I'll get you the, to the top of Google page, we instead you know, have this more elaborate, uh, comprehensive plan that we do with the assistance of people who are experts in that. Because let's face it, as lawyers, some lawyers are good marketers, some aren't, but that's not really our business. And frankly, it was frowned upon until you know, the last 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. So we need that help, and it's worthwhile. Well, and, you know, at January 1st of 2010, the comments to the Rule 7.1 through 7.4, I believe, were all there, and it specifically uh, notes that you can, uh, you know, hire a firm that's an outside marketing, you know, and everyone was afraid of, of directly approaching people. And you, as you say, adjunct or I say collateral professionals, uh, you know, that's something that's happening now. And it's it's nice to see the ethics rules catching up. Um, Kevin, if I can ask you how you address some of these, because I know as a solo, uh, you likely are answering and feeding a lot of these calls. And um, it's, it's often a, a sea of people to deal with. What are some of the, the strategies that you uh, incorporate as a solo when it comes to a marketing and referrals and, uh, you know, pressing the flesh and getting your face out there? Well, you're, you're certainly right about the, um, the, the web being an enormous source of, of potential clients. The, uh, uh, I'm also uh, on the receiving end of a deluge of phone calls of people offering to design a website, redesign a website, improve your search engine, and all kinds of other technological discussions that sometimes are a little bit off-putting. But I, I think the key is to have a presence that people, uh, that consumers can feel comfortable looking at, uh, whether it's a website or some other online uh, connection. Uh, most of us would probably agree that the, uh, the the best referral, the easiest referral to get is from a happy client from the past, but uh, getting those new people coming in the door is, is challenging. Uh, and, you know, the phone keeps ringing with people who've seen you on the web. Right. And they're finding people, they're finding you there. And, you know, another thing that I want to bring up is referrals. And I have experienced, personally, situations where I've sent a referral to someone who I know is an excellent family law attorney. They were right in their neighborhood. They've handled uh, complex high net worth cases. In fact, I helped the person with some of these cases years and years ago. And the person I gave the referral to said, I looked up your friend and he must not be a very good lawyer. He doesn't have a website. He doesn't have this. I can't find out anything online. Um, that there's there's a challenge there, and especially to the practitioners who maybe are at a smaller firm and were very very well known and had a really strong referral base. But now times are changing, and some people are are slow to uh, catch up with uh, with websites, uh, you know, and other things. But I you know I suggest that um, consumers in in today's age 
like to be able to reach out, touch and feel, and sort of get reviews. They, you know, every, you look for a new cell phone, you want to see 50 reviews from other users. And uh, when you look for a shop for lawyers, dentists, and service professionals, a lot of folks have taken that consumer psychology and adapted it to service professions. Rafe, let me ask you um, if that's been discussed or your thoughts on, on some of those issues. You're, you're, Nick, you're absolutely right about that. The clients, uh, potential clients are demanding uh, much more information than they have in the past about their potential attorneys. Even people who have been referred, where you normally would consider that a solid thing, the person comes in the door to some extent pre-sold, they're also researching the, the referral target, if you will, before they get in the door. Uh, mm-hmm. Evo.com has been an outstanding source of new business for me. Uh, clients can review uh, attorneys on there. It's scary to lawyers because clients can go on there and, and essentially post anything they want. Well, mm-hmm. that era of transparency is already here, and if attorneys don't embrace it, they fail to do so at their peril. And it's just like books on Amazon or appliances at, on BestBuy.com. It's, clients are demanding that information about their attorneys. They want to see real-life reviews from real clients. And they're sort of skeptical, I think, about some of the reviews that might be on a law firm's own website. They might think they're cherry-picked or something like that. Right. Whereas on Avo, they're looking at essentially at least the world of people that are familiar with Avo, uh, you know, and what they've thought about a particular attorney. So ratings websites are are here, increasingly important to the overall marketing situation. I also find that LinkedIn Facebook, uh, our own website, stglawfirm.com, to be very useful for all these things. So like Mario was saying, you really have, you can't rely on one channel. You have to broadcast on a wide spectrum doing the human marketing with you know going to events and shaking hands and meeting people, right. whatever those things may be. Charitable organizations were involved in a lot of those, chambers of commerce, bar associations, a lot of the traditional human face-to-face things are still absolutely critical and then supplementing it with all of the web-based stuff to get potentially new clients who don't know really anything about you. Right. You know, another comment that I'd like to raise is that um, in the past, uh, marketing and advertising has been somewhat of a form of writing a check to a vendor where today the marketing, advertising, and more more so than this, the branding and publicity and, and um, media relations, all the things that I talk about as a strategy consultant and publicist, uh, take a lot of attorneys' time. And when I meet with new, new clients, I always tell them, this is a two-way street. I have a lot of work on my end, but you have a significant amount of work on yours. It's no longer a write the check and pass the file off. Uh, to someone and then your marketing and advertising is done. So whether it's whether it's you know working together with people on writing uh, or attending events, it really it is the FaceTime. And and I know that um, all of the people here on this program today, I've seen either you or members of your firms out there at events consistently. And it is again that top of mind, uh, top level mind recognition because you know we never know when someone is going to call us and say hey my friend needs a divorce lawyer who um you know who can you refer and if it's someone that i see all the time or they always show up on my facebook or twitter or something else i'm more likely to remember them first i mean this is really cognitive psychology and um you know re- memory retrieval so the people you know frequently and you see them all the time are the ones who are going to get the referrals uh we're going to take another uh, short break here and then we're going to uh round out our 
show today in uh, our fourth segment. We're going to talk about family practice models um, and talk about, again, more brand and referral generating opportunities, focusing on uh, where we have the traditional litigation model and also uh, today more and more people are comfortable and no collaborative uh, law, and I believe all of our, our panelists today are collaboratively trained, um, and we can also talk about alternative dispute resolution, mediation, some of the different models that are good for some but not good for all, um, and talk about some of those issues. So uh, our final event message, I want to let you know a little bit about our consulting program here at ProServe PR Marketing. From solo practitioners to larger law firm managers, we receive invitations to present these lunch and learn workshops where we go to a law firm, and for the benefit of both transactional and litigation attorneys, we share information about how you can best use digital media, how you can use public relations and marketing opportunities to leverage your achievements and contributions to not only further your career but your firms as well while you engage new clients and referrals. And I'll submit that uh, this is something that people in larger law firms sometimes don't think about. If you are on partner track and looking to climb the climb the ranks within your law firm, it's important to highlight your accomplishments and share and promote yourself within your organization as well as outside. So again, these are wonderful lunch and learn media opportunities uh, from you know me and my people to share information to you uh, with you law uh, everyone in law from a lot of the media and publishing people directly. In addition, uh, I partner with the ARDC and roll out some of their information in these programs uh, as the ARDC has taken some uh, comments and thoughts on different things also involving social media and some of the areas that uh, we can sometimes get in trouble when it comes with marketing, publicity, and uh, and the like. So uh, more information you can find by dialing 312-505-2604. Telephone number again for ProServe PR Marketing, 312-505-2604. Also, before we get back to our programming, I want to remind you that our newsletter page at ProServePR.com contains a link where you can sign up and receive free copies of the ProServe post. We have a mid-month email that contains useful marketing marketing and publicity articles, um, as well as uh, articles from other contributors on point for DIY marketers and uh, you know, law firm marketing publicity generally. Also, our end-of-the-month emails contain short descriptions and links to our month's Law Talk radio episodes. And again, this is April. April is Family Law Month. Our guest on Thursday will be uh, the clerk of the Circuit Court of Cook County, Ms. Dorothy Brown. She's going to talk about the expungement program they have and a few other resources that many attorneys might not know about um, at the clerk of the Clerk of the Circuit Court in Cook County. Now, before we uh, get back to our show, I want to remind our listeners out there, please do share our broadcast links in your social networks. Many people find our shows by, by sharing them on their friends' Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn pages, and we thank all of you for your support in sharing our programming. Now, for our final segment, segment number four, we're going to talk about different family practice models and, again, some brand and referral opportunities. Kevin, why don't you tell us a little bit about the different options out there for attorneys Who's doing what and why, and uh, some of your thoughts. Well, thanks. Um, I discovered some years ago that the collaborative practice model would be valuable for uh, family lawyers principally because it gives the right couples an alternative that can uh, be very, very efficient. It isn't for everybody. Pardon me. Uh, if you have the right couple going into the collaborative practice model, you can have a wonderful result that's uh, creative and efficient and, in most cases, uh, cost-effective. 
and faster. It's not an automatically faster, cheaper solution, but it can often be a much more uh, comfortable solution for everybody. By the same token, um, sometimes couples enter the collaborative process and can't finish, in which case the collaborative lawyers have to withdraw, and a litigator takes over. And uh, I've had a, a number of cases come to me because of that predicament. Uh, the collaborative community, I think, is a great source of referrals. Uh, as Mario mentioned a little bit earlier, um, the other the other folks that are out there, the mental health professionals, the financial neutrals, and um, that collaborative uh, network can be extremely helpful um, for us. But of course, you know, litigation is is the way most people go. Um, and, uh, you know, those of us that do both uh, enjoy that. I know a number of folks, I know you had Sandra Crawford on a, uh, recently, uh, a number of folks like her are trying to do most, if not all, of their practice collaboratively, and they're real good at it. Uh, for the moment, I'm still doing a mix. Mm-hmm. I know Rafe and, uh, Rafe and his partners, and, and certainly Mario and, and his partners, uh, do do both. That, that's true. We we do a mix of all those modes of uh, resolving cases depending on the client's individual needs, and you know, and you pr- offer those options when you interview the clients, and uh, they're increasingly asking for alternative dispute resolution. And clients are well educated, thanks to the internet, on uh, increasingly on their options between mediation, collaboration, and uh, and litigated models of of, dis- of case resolution. So. There are um, several of our attorneys are collaboratively trained, and it's been very useful for us to have those tools available. And uh, in fact, I I know Mario's firm is has well established a, a collaborative department. Several of the attorneys that we we trained together several years ago <laughs> for that. So it's it's and now it's established in the community. Clients are increasingly asking for it as an option, and. Uh, it's been very good for for the right clients. It's been an outstanding model. You know, I have a question to, to ask you. How do you effectively take off the collaborative hat and put on the litigation hat? I it just it seems to me that there are so so many things that are just uh, ingrained in family law litigation. Things that I mean, I know. I mean, that's how I grew up in law, and I, I organize my entire life like I'm preparing for you know trial binders. Um, it's, it's how do you take that hat off and really be purely a collaborative attorney? You know, how do you handle litigation and collaborative uh, files um, simultaneously? Or maybe that's not a, maybe that's not a challenge. It just seems to me like it would be difficult. Well, it's that that's a, a a great question. I had I got into collaborative from a couple of attorneys who actually I know very experienced litigators who suggested that we resolve a couple of cases in what one would call a cooperative model, where they were in court, they were litigated cases, but we sat down over the course of several settlement conferences and resolved the cases more or less amicably, cases that were otherwise looking very, they were very challenging cases. But because of the counsel involved and the willingness of people to sit down, worked them out very well. And that happens a lot in with the right attorneys and the right parties in litigated cases. But these attorneys suggested that I look into collab, and I, I had not heard of it before, and I looked into it. They said, basically, well, you already have the personality for it. Well, I, I'm just always taking a business approach. I come from a business and personal injury litigation background where if it makes economic sense to resolve a case, 
by settlement, then that's that's the way to go. Right? If it, and that can be emotional, economics as well as financial. So it's um, it would seem to be a useful tool for to me for the right case. I don't know that I have to switch gears. That it's just that I, when it's a collaborative case, I'm able to approach it that way. If it's a litigated case, you handle it that way. I, I guess it doesn't bother me. I know some attorneys really only see like to handle it one way or the other, and that's just it. There's a personality, I guess, that's that's part and parcel of that. Mm-hmm. I like that you make your comment. In fact, I have not heard this before, um, and I'm, I'm surprised, you know, with how many uh, collaborative fellows uh, I'm, I know. Um, no one has ever talked about it in terms of what makes business sense and the real advantage of having a business background. Um, you know, from a, I mean, to talk about a, a branding opportunity there. Someone who comes out of business and uh, knows that um, you know a family operates in, in many ways. Sometimes not like a business, but ideally like a business. Uh, so that's a really uh, it's a really astute observation and comment. Um, well, I appreciate it. Clients like to hear. I, I've always approached the, the segments along the way in a case with a cost benefit analysis, and most mm-hmm. lawyers do. They just may not label it that way. But a client wants to know what's the next step. What's it going to cost? What are my chances? If you have any reasonable way to estimate that type of thing, and so is it worth? Is the next thing or is is our objective worth? what we're trying to do here is, you know, mm-hmm. what method are we going to use? Is it the most cost effective? And, um, and again, the, the two types of cost, some people may be willing to spend the money, but not willing to spend the emotional energy mm-hmm. or, or vice versa. <laughs> so, right. Or have their, have their matters litigated in, uh, you know, in, in, in a public, that's right. you know, once things are filed, you can go pull files and it's, it's amazing how much should be redacted, but sometimes isn't Mario, let me shift to you and ask you, you know, with some high net worth clients, um, there are people out there who will have a dollar amount on how much they're willing to spend to make sure that the uh, opposing party does not get the boat, even though he or she may not have no idea how to drive the boat or ever want to go near the boat, um, but they want to deprive the other spouse of that boat. Um, you know, I, I've worked on some of these cases, and it's you know there there are some people who are just loving litigation and want to spend as much money as they can to fight it out because they have more. And with high net worth, that seems to be sometimes um, the case. But also, um, I see the benefit with collaborative in setting expectations financially and um, meeting those expectations and working with it in budget because I know a lot of high net worth clients sometimes think that their attorneys are, uh, you know, at a billing bonanza at their peril. Mario, what are your thoughts? Well, you know, we have the good fortune of having one of the co-founders of the Collaborative Institute of Illinois, Jim Galvin, as a partner. And what Jim Galvin expressed to me early on when he came to the firm was, you know, you're not really a different animal as a litigator because at the end of the day, if you're a fairly sensible person, you're just problem solving. Okay, and that's really what I look at Collaborative, is everybody sort of taking off the gloves and saying, let's solve the problem. You know, as far as high net worth clients, just because somebody's a high net worth client doesn't necessarily mean that they want to spend it all in litigation. In fact, a lot of the reasons why they became high net worth clients is because they didn't frivolously spend their money. Mm -hmm. But every once in a while, you're absolutely right, Nick. There are those people that want to fight for spite or fight for anger, and those really aren't, personally I can say this, those really aren't my kind of clients. I have always had a, 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 a motto, which is quantify, quantify, quantify. And it's another way of saying perhaps what Rafe was saying, which is 
you have to look sometimes at the financial side because child-related issues are, you know, sometimes they're a little harder to deal with. But you have to look at the financial side as a large algebraic equation into which there are variables. The variables are what are the likelihood of my succeeding, what is it going to cost me to succeed, how much more will I succeed than if I settle, and it's all these various things that go in a stew pot. And I always preach to my clients that I don't, if you're, whether you're worth $100 million or $1 million or $100,000, you must quantify what you're fighting over. If 10% of a marital estate is $10,000, okay, and it will cost you $20,000 to make sure your spouse doesn't get that extra 10%, that is not something that I am going to stand behind. Mm-hmm. And that's a function of taking the cost-benefit analysis, as Rafe said, and bringing it to the client. And most clients, I feel, appreciate it. Sometimes they don't appreciate it right at the beginning because divorce is a different animal with all kinds of emotions. But I find that the bulk of reasonable people will ultimately, at the end of the day, appreciate that what you brought to them was a, effectively a cost-benefit analysis on the financial side. Mm-hmm. You know, and another thing that I like about collaborative is that putting the decision power in the party's hands instead of having a trier of fact make the decision. Um, As we say goodbye, because we're out of time, I'd like to ask each of you, Mario, if you could start first since you were last to speak, uh, how people can get a hold of you if they'd like to continue a dialogue. Sure. Of course, there's our website, which is www.sdflaw.com. And on that website, you can find each of our uh, attorney biographies. You can also reach me in the Lake Forest office at 847-615-8300 or reach any of our attorneys in the downtown office at 312-641-5560. All right. Mario, thank you for your time this afternoon. Thank you, Nick. All right. Now, Rafe, tell us how people can get a hold of you. Thanks. I can be reached at our law firm's website, www.stglawfirm.com, or also, a direct dial to our law firm at 630-665-7676. And my Twitter feed is at Rayford Palmer, R-A-I-F-O-R-D-P-A-L-M-E-R. All right. And, Rayford, thank you again for your time. And now, Kevin? Well, I can be reached on my uh, email address, which is Seville at chicagofamilylaw.com. And my office number here in the loop is 312-208-2931. All right, thank you. I would like to thank all of our panelists today. I'd also like to thank all of our loyal guests for tuning in to another great episode of Law Talk Radio. Again, I'd like to remind you to please share our links and remind you that uh, ProServe PR Marketing uh, brings you uh, Law Talk Radio with support from Chris McCarthy of Northwestern Mutual. Again, Chris McCarthy provides individuals and business owners with expert guidance and exclusive access to Northwestern Mutual's life and disability insurance policies. The Northwestern Mutual Life Insurance Company, Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Law Talk Radio episodes are programmed to entertain and bring our legal industry professionals, consumers, and guests the tips, tools, and news they can use to be better informed practitioners and consumers. This is Nick Augustine for Law Talk Radio, and I thank you for your time.